Uh, let me just add a few words about the soccer game. Uh. The, um, yeah, it's been seven years. I didn't even realize that until the captain of the team, he's called Hidayat, uh, but on his Facebook, he's known as Cristiano Ronaldo. Okay, <laughs> CR, that's his Facebook name. And he, he shared with me that uh, the, cap uh, the manager of some other team uh, gave him an offer and several of the selected players in our team say, you come to us, we'll give you money, you have a bonus for scoring or doing well, and we cover all your medical expenses. Uh, I, think, I think they give him a salary even. But he wrote in the Facebook and said, we are not going. We are loyal to PPH because you guys have brought us up for the last seven years. When we first met him, he was still in secondary school. Now he's in his uh, early 20s. Uh, very good captain. You saw the picture of him concerned over uh, an injured player. And he says, we are with you. So I thank God for that. Uh, it's just that we need to pray for the next step. Okay, now we've got such a great relationship. The next step is to have a spiritual conversation and then to be able to tell them of what uh, our faith uh, is, is uh, about. So you can, you can pray for that. All right, let's uh, move on to today's uh, topic. Um, two weeks ago, we talked about, uh, remember, balance, you know, look far and uh, reduce weight. And we talked about balance to achieve uh, what is the chief end of man, and that is to glorify God. So to glorify God, we need to have balance. And the balance is... Uh, membership that is to be committed to the family uh, uh, yeah, in a cell group as, as far as possible uh, to learn, to love one another, to serve one another, commit to his family, to grow in Christ-likeness, which is what we're going to be talking about uh, today as well as last week, maturity, to serve others in ministry, and then to reach the lost in missions, even by soccer or by uh, any other form, uh, by capping that I know some of you went last night. I want to thank you very much for joining us and laboring together. And all this to magnify God's name. And so last week, Pastor Chi Ming talked about uh, the means to maturity, uh, the, 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 the ways of growing in spiritual maturity. And so today, we want to look at the measures of maturity. But first of all, what is maturity? What is spiritual maturity? What is it like? Uh, we know what uh, Elvis likeness is. We know what it's, it's like to be uh, like Elvis Presley. And by the way, that's my father. <laughs> uh, we know what it's like to be like. What is MJ likeness? You know, what is it like to be Michael Jackson, no matter how big or how small you are? Uh, but to be spiritually mature is to be like Jesus. It's Christ-likeness, okay? If you like the like, then you can like the like. What is Christ-likeness? The Bible doesn't leave us in the lurch and say, okay, you guys, you believe in Jesus, you need to be Christ-like. The Bible gives us actually very specific qualities and virtues, the fruit of the Spirit, especially in Galatians chapter 5, to tell us what Jesus is like, that He embodies the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible also tells us in 2 Peter Chapter 1, a, a list, a very similar list of virtues that we need to keep increasing in so as not to be unproductive or ineffective as Christ's followers. And so let's read, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to read the first 11 verses. 2 Peter chapter 1. 
Second Peter chapter one from verse one to eleven. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him, who called us by His own glory and goodness. Who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in a world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our lord jesus christ but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fail, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And so from this passage, in Second Peter, especially from verse 5, we develop this tool which you should have in your hands. I think it's together with your bulletin. We call it the means of maturity. And today I want to start the sermon with application. This is what you do, okay? And I encourage you to do it today. Okay, don't leave it, say, I've got a whole week to do it, and then it will be conveniently forgotten. Go through these prompting questions evaluate yourself go through a time of reflection today through the various questions of these eight qualities and then do a sort of rating each of these qualities eight qualities figure out for yourselves have i increased in faith increased in goodness or have i stayed the same or worse have i decreased in them so evaluate your own spiritual growth i came across this interview with uh, uh, Dallas Willard. Professor Dallas Willard is a professor of philosophy in the University of Southern California and also an award-winning uh, Christian author. In the Leadership Journal of 2010, the spring of 2010, he was asked this question, how do we assess spiritual growth? How can churches know if they are being effective at making disciples? And his answer was this. He said, many churches are measuring the wrong things. We measure things like attendance, and giving but we should be looking at more fundamental things like anger or contempt or honesty and the degree to which these things are, are under the thumb of our lusts those things can actually be counted but not as easily as offerings and then he was asked why don't more churches gauge these qualities among their people and he said first of all leaders do not want to measure these qualities because they usually discover that there's nothing worth bragging about. You can brag about collections and attendance, but 
these qualities, not, not, not to be bragged about. And we rather focus on institutional measures of success. Secondly, we must have people willing to be assessed in these ways. And finally, we need the right tools to measure spiritual maturity. And the questioner asked, in the past, you know, people grew through relationships with spiritual mentors and by engaging in the church community. Is there now a danger that this kind of individual assessment tools will remove the role of the community in spiritual maturity? And his answer was, any of these devices must be used in a community setting. Assessment like this that work best are a combination of self-assessment and the assessment of a significant other, that is maybe your spouse or a very good friend who knows you well. They don't work with people who do not want to be assessed and they should not be administered like individual personality tests that some employers use. If you have a group of people coming together with a vision for real discipleship, people who are committed to grow, committed to change, committed to learn, then a spiritual assessment tool like this can work. But there must be deep fellowship of trust to support this work. And I don't think that any group should go into assessment without that. I wouldn't advise a pastor to use any of these tools on his or her congregation without first establishing a clear commitment to discipleship. You can't just take your average congregation and throw one of these assessments on them. That's what he said. I think how true. And I know that some of you do not like this, okay? You take this and say, come on. And I know that none of you will throw it away. You will just leave it conveniently on the chair and then you will walk out without it, right? I know, I get it, I understand. You know, I'm a human being too. But let's consider the Word of God. Consider for a second my responsibility. And you know, Colossians chapter 1 has a very great significance for me. First of all, it starts with a very high view of Christ, you know, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. And then in verse 28, which is sort of like my life verse, verse 28 says this, We proclaim him, or I, a pastor, a Christian leader, proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. To present everyone perfect in Christ. That same word is translated complete in Christ. It's also translated in other versions as mature in Christ. So that's what we need to do, to present a, a, a holy bride for Jesus, the bridegroom. Mature in Christ. And I struggle. I struggle to do that. But I struggle with His energy. So with all His energy, I want to tell you, do it. Do it. Get through these means and measures of Christ-likeness. Question is, do we want to grow? I don't think any one of you will say, no, I don't want to grow. Every one of you want to grow. Then, then make every effort. Make every effort. But realize that effort is not equal to earning. Right? We do not earn our, our, a, a good presentation before God. We do not earn our salvation. It's all by God's grace. But there is a risk of not making every effort. And that risk is that we end up childish. 
Okay, not childlike, right? The Bible says we need to be childlike in our faith, but not childish. They say that childhood is short. It is very short. I think by the time you're sort of, I don't know, in mid-secondary school, you're already out of your childhood, but immaturity is forever. Don't you find that true? Childhood is short, but immaturity, you can be immature forever. And spiritual immaturity is a blight on the name of Jesus. It's a blight on the name of the Lord Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. And we cannot be spiritually immature. And, and this is a blight on Christendom. You know, Muhammad Gandhi, Gandhi once said this, Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. You Christians are so unlike Christ. So Christ-likeness, maturity. Christ-unlikeness, spiritual maturity, which is forever. But I do want to explain to you this means and measures of Christ-likeness, what it is not about. Okay, it is, I might as well put this, huh? it is not about a theology of works. When you read Galatians, Galatians is where there's the famous fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. But the whole book of Galatians has very strong, in fact, it, it is the harshest book in the New Testament. Very, very strong uh, a condemnation of this theology of works. That through some self-effort on our part, we can earn something from God. It's dead against that. Um, and in my NIV Bible, at the start of chapter 5, there is a, a subtitle, okay? That's not inspired, but it summarizes the chapter 5. It says, freedom in Christ. We are free in Christ, but yet we make every effort. But yet there is a list of the ninefold fruit of the Spirit that we should aspire to, which is Christ-likeness. Second Peter has another list of eight qualities, very, very similar to the fruit of the Spirit, and it brackets, Second Peter chapter 1 is bracketed in the front, and in the back, by knowledge, knowledge of Jesus, Jesus, knowledge of Jesus, which must be transformed into virtues, into Christ-likeness. And it's not about us. It doesn't start with you Christians. It starts with the knowledge of Jesus. It is not some strategy to, to produce holiness, to produce Christ-likeness by our own strength. When we work at this kind of thing, with our own strength, it is human religiosity. It is to appear religious. It is actually of the flesh. But when Jesus works in us, it, it becomes beautiful. It is beautiful and it grows and grows into the fruit of the Spirit. So it's not a, a theology of works. It's not about navel-gazing. Okay? You, you, you would know the term navel-gazing. It's like just self-absorption. You're just looking at yourself uh, exclusively. But, even though we do not navel-gaze, we do need to have a correct view of ourselves. Apostle Paul comes, calls himself wretched man that I am in Romans 7. He knew that his heart was desperately wicked. As the prophet Jeremiah knew, his heart was desperately wicked and recorded it in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. And we are called to examine ourselves. All over the Psalms, you read this word, test yourself. Lord, examine me. Examine ourselves. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. 
test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So examine ourselves. You know, in, in modern Christian circles, some churches, uh, uh, you, would, you would hear this teaching that, um, that you reject, I reject calling myself a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I'm a precious child of God. I'm the beloved of God. But that is your redeemer status. You need to know your real status, that you are a sinner. You are a sinner saved by grace. Yes, of course, you are a precious child of God, the beloved of God. But don't ever say that, hey, I reject this in Jesus' name. I'm not a sinner. You're not. And, and I like this saying, which really captures the real self and the redeemed self very well. It says, it says cheer up. You are a worse sinner than you ever dare to imagine. Cheer up. But there's a second part to that. Cheer up. You are a worse sinner than you ever dare to imagine. But you are more loved than you ever dare to hope. Sinner, redeem. Sinner, loved. And family is not some external piety measures. We are not asking you to, to legalistically and ritualistically do this every month, every six months, every year, and, and, and all that to measure you on Christ-likeness by some 8 by 3 matrix, you see? 8 by 3 matrix. It's not like that. It is, it is not about the, the actions the external actions that we must exhibit. Yes, I did it religiously once every month, but it is about the attitudes that we need to embrace, the virtues of our master that we need to embrace. It's not about a measure or measurement, but it's about our master. Because every time you look at this list of eight qualities, you think of Jesus. We look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It's not about a rating but it's about a relationship. It's not about external piety measure, but looking to Jesus and our relationship with Jesus, who manifests these eight qualities perfectly, inspiringly. So, question, do you have a rich relation? And I'm not talking about a rich relative, okay? Do you have a rich relationship with Jesus? And this is the relationship that produces these virtues, that produces fruit. Someone once said that no one can be close to Jesus and not become a person of virtue. You are close to the Lord, it will flow into you. Someone once said, as God operates, we cooperate. So it all starts with God. It's not, it, it doesn't start with, with uh, uh, navel-gazing. It doesn't start with, these are the qualities that I aspire to. It starts with God and we cooperate. And we know this rich, I have a rich relative. His name is Jesus. Okay? He's the richest person I know. And, and, and my relationship with him must be the richest, deepest relationship ever. This is the relationship that makes me the disciple whom Jesus loved. Whom Jesus loves. You know, the, the Apostle John also has a very clear view of what it means to be a sinner saved by grace. Five times in the Bible, he audaciously 
said that he was a disciple whom Jesus loved. Is that really so audacious? Any one of us can say, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. Aren't you? You are. Say it. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. But at the same time, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, he says, if we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And the Lord of truth, the way, the life, and the truth is not in us. So we are sinners, unfortunately, but we are still loved by God. Pastor Chiming brought us through a very helpful model last week that I want to go through once again about the means, the avenues to spiritual growth, means to maturity. It starts with self-awareness about personal reflection that is guided by God, the Holy Spirit, as well as feedback from others. So when you look through this list of questions and when you ask yourself and when you sort of rate yourself, ask God, the Holy Spirit, to reveal it to you as you reflect. And then give it to some significant other, okay? If you have a wife or a husband, a girlfriend, a very good friend, let them, let them do it on your behalf and get that external feedback. Secondly, it is transformed by God's Word. And we're talking about personal Bible study. Um, those of you with a smartphone, I don't know, you know about this U version, U version Bible is excellent. It's excellent. So I set it up for, or what I do now is I have uh, three chapters of the Old Testament to read every day and one chapter of the New Testament. Okay? When I finish up to a certain point, he says, well done. When I forget to read it, it, it reminds me. If I find it too small to read in my phone, I can click and send it to my email and read it on my proper computer. And it's just so encouraging. You finish a small segment, they congratulate you. They, they keep you accountable. And you can write notes and send it to your friends as well. You can post it on Facebook. It's just fantastic. Use it. Use it. That's a personal Bible study. Then in a cell group, we can discuss with one another. We can see the Word of God come alive in one another or not come alive. Right? You can see that. Wow, so and so, uh, the way she talks uh, is like so unchristlike, man. I better not be like her. Or, or something like that now, okay? I put it in a negative sense. And then, of course, the sermons, uh, which uh, might be the least effective of them all, but still we are called to preach, we preach, right? Uh, but I hope some of you can remember some things for life uh, which will help you to grow in maturity. And then aided by spiritual disciplines, right? Uh, I think you've heard of disciplines, uh, spiritual disciplines. Uh, read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. And then there are all kinds of spiritual disciplines from fasting and, and submission and, and, and make sure you meet together. Sometimes it feels like it's like so legalistic. Oh my goodness, I got to fast, la, I got to read the Bible, la, pray, la, and come on Sundays, la, go to cell groups and all that. It's, it's not that seriously. Each one of these spiritual disciplines, and sometimes it sort of keep on increasing. La. Every smart guy will, will, will increase one more for you. It's not legalistic. It's a means of grace. And there are many means of grace, right? It's not, um, and each one of these, whether it is fasting or reading the Bible or praying, is a means by which God's grace can come into your life. If you interpret it as a legalistic thing I must do, then, then it doesn't work for you. If you interpret it as, yeah, another means, 
when I spend that one lunchtime fasting every Tuesday or whatever, it's a means by which God can, can, can pour out His grace into me. Then you will think very differently. Then you will be transformed by, uh, with the help of spiritual disciplines. Molded by life experience, Jiming talked about trials, crisis, life transitions. And yeah, one, one, one of my, my friends I just found out this morning had a brain aneurysm, but blood vessel burst in Dubai. So actually, I'm very, very concerned uh, uh, right now. Uh, and, and it's a real crisis in, in the family right now. The wife is up there, the daughter is going to fly up tomorrow. And we pray, and I know that God is going to do something good out of this, even though it looks so terrible. Uh, in the first service, well, we had Simon Leong come back uh, to, to church after uh, a long round of chemotherapy. Simon Leong, by the way, was one of those instrumental seven years ago in setting up Teban Thunders. Last Sunday, he went uh, in, to, to witness the game and to give encouragement to his troops, okay? even though he was not well, uh, but I think he had good enough stat vital statistics for him to go in, in the heat. And God brought him out of those crises. He learned, I learned. I learned by watching him suffer. That his spirit continued to be strong. And these are very significant moments in our lives that we can uh, know what the true comfort and peace and shalom of God is. And of course, life transitions. When you have your first child or when you first get married, you realize how selfish you are. When you have a child, you learn what the father's love is. When you have a grandchild, you learn what is real. What do you call that? When you spoil your, your grandchildren, uh, then you learn uh, uh, the, the reverse side of uh, selfishness. So all these things help us to grow in spiritual maturity. And lastly, sharpen by relationship. And if you get a spouse or a good friend or girlfriend, boyfriend, to do this assessment for you, it'll be very sharp. Okay, it'll be very sharp. It's very painful. Okay, once the results come out, which I will show you later. Uh, and I know in the second service, uh, at least among the young adults, uh, Pastor Chi Ming has started this mentoring thing. Okay, keep it alive. Huh? You might have a mentor for that one year and then you sort of fade away. It's okay, right? At any moment when you feel like, yeah, I need to find myself another mentor and let us help uh, organize it as well as peer mentoring and, and, and all that. We work together on that. Okay, but it all starts with self-awareness. You know, I'm not much of a reflection person. Right? For me, it's just chong, go right ahead. I reflect later. But, you know, if, every time you have your quiet time, if you spend that time alone with God, you're bound to, self, you're bound to, to reflect. You have to. Right? Because the Word of God, when you read and as you pray, it's like out of this selfish, sinful vessel, what goes in, what comes out, you have to do some, some reflection. And especially when you prepare sermons or you have to prepare, maybe some of you are teaching in, in the boys' brigade, it, something has got to touch your spirit. You do have to reflect. And especially when I'm not talking about spiritual maturity, Christ-likeness. I mean, who am I to talk to you about being like Christ? And that's why we need to, to do a bit of reflection. Let me share with you something that I'm not entirely proud of uh, and something uh, uh, quite personal to just sort of bring out this illustration. Last Saturday, 
not yesterday, the Saturday before that, eight days ago, my wife Angeline, my eldest son Johan and I went to look at some property because he was looking at the possibility of buying some property. So we made an appointment for 2 o'clock, 2 p.m. I was quite reluctant to go. Saturday afternoon is sort of my rest time. Uh, and property, I know this property is like way above our budget, but still they want to go and look-see, look-see, you know. It's the first one we ever look at, okay. And I haven't looked at any property for like 30 years. So I go and look-see, look-see. So I was reluctant. We drove there, entered the wrong car park, came out of the car park, couldn't find a place. And I was blaming Angeline for it. You are, you are, no, I'm just driving and you got GPS. Why don't you check it first before, before we go? Now you cannot find a place. Then she was calling this guy. Where are you? Huh? I'm, I'm at course, you know. You left side or right side? Huh? And then as she was doing that, she fell. Really, literally flat on her, her knees and she sprained her ankle. Immediate swelling. We sat down there for like five minutes and just so-so a bit. And then we limped to this place which we finally found. And this cheery... A uh, housing agent come out. Hi, have you had your lunch? It was 2 o'clock. Uh, actually, we're not ready for you. The room upstairs is not ready. And uh, we're standing outside in the heat. Okay, we have not even entered the building. And uh, are you very busy? Uh, well, where are you going to next? Oh, then it got me already. So I went to him and I said, why do you need to ask all these questions? Do we have an appointment at 2 o'clock or do we not have an appointment at 2 o'clock? And then I felt very bad. Because like straight after that, it's like the room was suddenly available. Okay? We went up to the lift, met this very professional guy in a suit and tie, and he presented all the good things about this property. And, in my, and, and they always like, what is your lifestyle? Ah? Who's going to be living here? Ah? Uh, then I can fit your requirements. Ah? I said, please don't ask me my profession. Please don't ask me what my job is. So how can I tell them I'm a pastor and I blasted you like that? And God answered my prayer. Didn't ask me. Didn't ask me. But I felt really bad. And uh, on Tuesday, I asked Angeline, my wife, to do this. You want to see the results? I'm sure you're dying to see the results. I'll show it to you. Okay, this is it. Of course, people like me, uh, when you see a report card, uh, you don't look at all the A's, right? You say, e, how come you got B here? How come you got, well, you got C? Uh? So you look at this and you see the, the three crosses that uh, actually is already full of grace. Uh. This assessment is full of grace. I think there are some areas which uh, should be in the third column. So the three crosses that end up the same, that I did not grow in these aspects of spiritual maturity. So uh, why don't we just take a look at, at them? Uh, one of them, is perseverance. Okay, I'm not going to go through all, all eight. Huh? I'm go through those that I failed in, that did not increase. Perseverance is steadfastness, is patience, is endurance. What's this required me to exercise patience and endurance? Housing agents. Responded badly. Uh, how have I been able to persevere in accomplishing goals set? Okay, this one not so relevant in this example. In what ways have God been persevering towards me fantastic ways because I'm still here eight days later and even dare to preach to you about perseverance and spiritual maturity. How long did my patience last? Appointment 2 o'clock, went to the room 205. 
Cannot the on two zero five come on shut one time. <laughs> Cannot even last five minutes. And then uh, I, I read the book. It says perseverance is about how we deal with difficult people and difficult circumstances. Uh, that's me. <laughs> It's how you deal with me who cannot tahan five minutes being late. And, and, and there's very little for me to deal because all you people here in PPH are so nice and so nice to me that I have no difficult people here. So how do I learn to grow in perseverance? Your fault. Huh? Anyway, okay. Then I was given, I was given this book last year um, written by Robert Solomon, the, the ex-bishop of the Methodist Church called The Virtuous Life. And it's about the fruit of the Spirit. And the, the, the theme there is that it's not about you. You know, you look at the fruit of the Spirit, don't think about yourself first. Think about the author and the finisher of your faith. Focus on Jesus. So when it came to the, the aspect called patience, which is perseverance, there are several subtitles that he writes on. Focus on Jesus, his patience for his disciples. His patience at home with his family and brothers and sisters. His patience with his enemies. His patience in difficult circumstances. How has God been persevering towards me? You can see it all. God's patience is amazing. So you look not so much as self, uh, what is it, navel gazing at ourselves, but look first at Jesus and then you're just inspired by Jesus perseverance and then okay self-control self-control sort of a definition being a master instead of a slave over your own desires and passions what are areas in my life that I have exercised improved self-control oh, maybe exercise uh, you know nowadays more regular what are areas in my life that I need to exercise greater self-control wow housing agents <laughs> I need to master my desire to show this salesman or this agent who is boss that you don't come and waste my time, okay? I need to master that, you know, that, that sense of, of, of pride that my time is much more important. After all, you're just an agent. That kind of horrible feeling. You know, another word for self-control, uh, translated in especially the King James Version, is temperance. Temperance. And the opposite of temperance, whenever you read this word, for example, in the King James Version, lack of self-control is the word incontinence. That's an old English, like, incontinence. And so when I blurted out of this hole, those angry words is incontinence. It's as dirty and as smelly and as ugly as what comes out the other end. It's incontinence, lack of self-control. But self-control is not the same, or self-control or temperance is not the same as this word called stoicism. You know, from Greek philosophy, you are stoic. Stoicism is rule yourself. Control yourself, man. Control yourself. It's not about that. Self-control or temperance, which actually is a better word, is to be ruled by God. It's not that self-effort, control yourself. Okay? Don't lose temper, don't lose temper. It's to be ruled by God. Let God, the Holy Spirit, rule you. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And don't be a slave to something else, to your base nature. Be a slave. Be captivated. Be captured by God, and that is self-control. Robert Solomon in, in that book uh, brought up another example, another book uh, that's, that's here, 
Actually, the other title of this book is, is called the, the Three Edwards, uh, written by Thomas Costain. It talks about this Reynard III. Reynard III was living in the 14th century, uh, a nobleman, a duke, in what is uh, present-day Belgium. He was very fat. After a violent quarrel with uh, his brothers, his younger brother, his younger brother called Edward led a successful revolt and kicked him out of being the, the lord of the manor, as it were, uh, and usurped the position, imprisoned his elder brother, Reynard. What was this prison? This prison was a very nice room in the same castle they had always been living in. This prison had everything nice, windows and everything, and a near normal-sized door, quite normal, which was not locked. This prison was not locked. Every day, the younger brother Edward served his older brother rich, delicious food. And he told his older brother, you are free to come out of the room and to take back control of the estate anytime you want to, if you can get out of the room. Why can't he get out of the room? He was too fat. And this went on for 10 years. Subsequently, the younger brother, Edward, who went to war somewhere and died. And then the servants and all that took down the, the door, cracked open the, wall, uh, the, the walls, and this big guy, Reynard, came out. And he died within a year because of obesity. So, what was the prison? The prison was in temperance, incontinence the inability to control himself as far as diet was concerned. Who was the master of this castle? It wasn't the younger brother. The master became the lack of self-control, his appetite for unhealthy things. So that's lack of self-control. What is the third quality that I, that I did not grow in? Terrible. How can pastor don't grow in love? But it's me. How have I experienced the love of God? The fact that I'm still here trying to teach you about love. I, I think this is purely the love and the grace of God. Who are the people that I need to show love to? Housing agents. How have I shown sacrificial love to them? I haven't. I haven't. But I should. I should by sacrificing five minutes. Sacrificial love is just five minutes. Show kindness, show love. You know, they, they, this guy told me that the previous night he worked until 2 a.m., 2 a.m. and he was meeting me at 2 p.m. to present this property and all that. They work very hard and I, I think they suffer a lot of rejection. Like you meet a hundred clients, maybe one guy might really buy something. They need a lot of encouragement. They need human kindness, the milk of human kindness, which they did not get from me. So it starts with self-awareness, with reflection. And I think I've learned my lesson. I've learned my lesson, which I'm sharing with you. Someone once said that, uh, not someone once said, Socrates once said that an, an unexamined life is not worth living. So live a life that is worth living. Live a life of examination. Examine yourself. And that is the first step to spiritual growth. So let me share uh, a little bit more with you in, in three Chinese words, which uh, two of them I copied from... Uh, a sermon one of our Chinese pastors preached a couple of weeks ago. But this first one, I devised myself, okay? When I told her, she said, wow, pastor can do Chinese rhymes. Ah. I said, wow, big deal. Ah. So the first one is, you look at ourselves. Uh, 
when we look at ourselves, ah, sintong leh, heart pain. You know, when I did my self-reflection and I and I look at this, I see what a crappy pastor you are. You know, heart very painful. I fall so short. I fall short of Christ's likeness. You know the verse in Romans chapter six twenty-three, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah, that's where I fall short. But if that is all we do, yeah, it'll be sing tong forever. We will have this heart pain forever. But it's not that because we need to look at Jesus. When we look at Jesus, it'll be sing tong. Okay, your heart will be moved. Your heart will be moved because this is the Jesus who perfectly manifests the fruit of the Spirit. And and he doesn't condemn you. He's perfect. You're not. But he doesn't condemn you. Uh, let me read Colossians one chapter. Uh, Colossians one from verse nineteen. It says, "For God was pleased to have His fullness, the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit, dwell in Jesus, and through Him reconcile and make right all all uh, all things, whether on earth, uh, in heaven, to Himself, and making peace with His blood. He went to the cross. He died for you to show His love." Once you were alienated from God, if you only look at yourself, you are alienated from God. You will forever have sing tong. And once you were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, good example. But now he has reconciled. He has make it right. Reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. He had to die so as to make it right for you to present you holy. So I am holy in His sight, without blemish, free from accusation. Free from condemnation. Romans eight chapter one, no condemnation. So that's what it is. You your your sing will be tongue man. You will be so moved by by the love of God. And then what do you do? Then you sing tongue lah, right? That's action. That's that's when you make every effort. My God loves me so much. Can't I be patient for five minutes? I think I will be ah. In future, I may still fall again, but I think I've learned my lesson. That five minutes of patience, kindness to someone, will will become easier because it comes out of not an effort of earning something, but out of inspiration by the God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And finally, Philippians chapter two, verse twelve, it talks about work. What is Christian work like? Says therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. God works in us as we work it out by making every effort. God operates in His sovereignty, and we cooperate by surrendering. To His will, and so would you surrender? Would you spend some time today, as you go through this, and evaluate yourselves, not to give yourselves sing tong, but to be sing tong, to be, to be inspired by God who loves you in spite of how good or how bad you come out of this evaluation too. Yeah. So that's my sermon. Um, let's sing this song. 
this song gave me goosebumps in the first service, continues to do so. The song that we sang earlier about God's love. Let me invite the music team to come. That, that this is it, you know, that this is it, that you are is so inspired by the love of God, uh, even as we make effort to grow in Christ-likeness. That His grace will be my strength, His love is perfect, mine is not. His amazing love reaches out to me. Not my wisdom, not my strength, but as He guides me, as I totally surrender to Him, yeah, then I will be Christ-like. Why don't we stand as we just enjoy this song which talks about the love of God.
thank you so much God for for loving me thank you for upholding me thank you for this amazing love that reached out to me and so with joy to you I come in the name of the Lord Jesus my lover my savior my master my friend 